0: Well, hey, I wanna, I wanna just turn your attention to the series that I'm also excited to kick off. It's October. We all know when October gets here that Halloween is right around the corner. How many of you love Halloween? Raise your hand if you love Halloween. Just hold up high. Father, I just pray for every single person here to, nah, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It's a cool, it's, it's, it's good. If you wonder what my view on Halloween is, I preached a message and had part of it on that last year, uh, go to our website or look at our app called Encounters. That was the series. And I talked about my view of Halloween. I gave them a history and, and what I believe about it. And so I don't freak out about it, okay? Um, but I, I just, you know, Halloween is that time when people love to dress up and pretend to be someone else right when i think of halloween when we think about the season it's this time of year where people are wearing different outfits different costumes putting on a different mask and then there's always that going around and having the really awkward interaction with other people you know what i'm talking about i'm talking about middle school what did you think i was talking about trick-or-treat No, that's middle school you know what i mean but truthfully here's what i've discovered Halloween isn't just a a once-a-year thing where we kind of dress up and pretend to be someone else. The reality is, if we're honest today, that, that all of us can find ourselves at times putting on masks, metaphorically speaking. In other words, we can find ourselves kind of, you know, pretending to be someone, projecting to be someone that maybe deep down inside we really aren't. In fact, I would argue that most of us, and we're going to talk about some through this series, if we were truthful, we wear masks all the time. We do. In fact, the two primary reasons why I believe we wear masks in life, and that is this, either projection or protection. We're either projecting somebody that we want other people to think we are, or we're doing it out of protection so they don't see who we really are. And the truth is this, that we we can go through life and find ourselves at times putting on outfits to try to pretend to be somebody that we're not. I will never forget the time when I first learned that pastors have a costume. Pastors wear a costume. I, I never knew this when I got into ministering and being a pastor, I didn't know this. It wasn't until I went to Texas in 2006. I went to this conference, it was called the C3 Conference at a big church in Dallas, Texas. And I walk into this big church, I've never been in a church this big, to be honest with you, okay, my my framework for church was really small. And I walk in there, and there's thousands of pastors at this conference, it's just, man, I'm talking about, you've never seen a stage like this before, whatever. And then one of the first things I noticed was that I was not dressed appropriately to be at a pastor's conference. I look like I walked out of Old Navy and and everybody else there looked like they, they were dressing a little. Y'all remember, okay, this is like mid-2000s. Like this is the time when affliction shirts were in. And I say that nicely, but if you have some, you need to retire them. We <laughs> stopped wearing those like 10 years ago. Okay, whatever, you know. And, 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 and it wasn't just the t-shirts with the shirts and the embroidery, I don't know if you remember that that phase, but everybody, and I, I remember striking up a conversation with somebody who was there, and I was just like, D- does everybody here shop at the same store that I don't know about? And the guy was like, yeah, they, they shop at this store for pastors. I, I said, I didn't know there was a store for pastors. They were like, yeah, it's called the buckle. <laughs> you ever been in there? I didn't even know. I'm like, oh my gosh, I felt so out of place. I didn't know you were supposed to dress a certain way. As soon as I got back home, I found the closest buckle, took out a second mortgage, and went and bought a whole new wardrobe (laughs) just so I could be a real pastor. (laughs) That's when I realized that we wear costumes. Sometimes we we wear masks in life. And sometimes we find ourselves in a place where, where we're constantly projecting or protecting ourselves. And so what I want to do through this series is I, I want to try to see if, if I can br- bring a sense of freedom. And I know it's not me. It's really God and His Spirit that does that. But, but I want to address some of the masks that we wear. That, that subconsciously, we don't even think about it. But we constantly are wearing masks all through life, uh, trying to live up to something or trying to be someone that maybe... We were never meant to be. And so throughout this series, what we're going to do is we're going to address really some practical real-life masks that all of us deal with. Now, I'm going to tell you the truth right now. The things we're going to talk about the next three weeks, these have the potential to really set you free. I want to encourage you to come for this whole series. It could really do something in your life, because I really believe that we all live with this, and honestly, I think a lot of us are really miserable with life because of it. I just want to find what it means to live an authentic version of me you know you're you're a good you are you we need a good version of you in this world we do we don't need a copycat of somebody else we need a version of you that god created and so we're going to talk about some masks for the next three weeks now let me tell you about halloween weekend oh it's going to be epic now i'm not just playing that up but we're, we're having what's called Halloween at crossroads. And I know some of you right now, oh my gosh, only the devil celebrates Halloween. and No, the devil's not the one who celebrates Halloween. Oh, by the way, your neighbors celebrate Halloween. Don't treat them like the devil, please, okay? But but we know that our community is people are engaged and they're having fun and they don't even know some of the history. That's fine, okay? Come on. I look at this as an opportunity for us to engage a community that people are living with masks and we are gonna share a very creative presentation of the gospel through masks. It's gonna be incredible. Some of the music we've got planned. Oh, what we're gonna do, your kids can dress up. Some of you might wanna dress up as adults. That's fine. Just know it's a little weird. But, but if you wanna dress up, that's cool too. Wear your superhero costume. We'll, and, and we're gonna have candy for the kids. Listen, it is a weekend for you to invite somebody. That's what I'm telling you right now. Think of somebody from work, somebody you wanna, hey, if they don't normally go to church, they're gonna have fun. They're gonna like it, okay? So that, that's Halloween. Today what I wanna do is I, I wanna talk about a mask that I think a lot of us, really all of us, uh, deal with in our life. I call it the mask of comparison the mask of comparison, um, I think whether we realize it or not, we we find ourselves comparing ourselves to others constantly. I think we do it subconsciously. I, I, I think it's, it's not taught, but it is caught. You know, it, it's something that we pick up based on the pressures of our society, the pressures of culture. Um, you can see this start at a real young age. I remember when my my, my firstborn, um, Lauren, was in fifth grade. And some of you parents can relate to this. I remember uh, her coming and begging me for an iPhone. She wanted an iPhone. If you've ever had your kids come in, she used this line. This was the line that she used. But, Dad, everybody in my class has one but me. Parents, you ever heard that statement used? about what, Everybody has one but me. What, what happens? Somewhere in, in life, in school, we, we start to kind of feel a pressure. There's a pressure to conform. There's a pressure to look a certain way. There's a pressure to have certain things. I remember feeling it in school, in high school. I remember there's a pressure to wear certain shoes. That was big when I was in high school. If you didn't have a pair of Air Jordans, you didn't know life, you know. And, and, and that, was, that was my, you know, experience. And, and so there's this constant pressure that we feel that, that really is pushing us to live from a place where we're always comparing ourselves to other people. And let me just tell you this. It's kind of exhausting uh, it, it kind of gets us to a place where we're never satisfied with our lives it's true that is why we're shaking our head because all of us know this this is a real mask that we wear we get behind I, I want to share a story if you've got a Bible with you would you open up to the very first book of the Old Testament Genesis chapter 30 if you got an electronic de- uh, device you like to follow along on on you version genesis chapter 30 is where we're going to be let me give you the context um it's a story about a guy and his two brides and yes i said a guy and his two brides this was a time when when people sometimes married guys sometimes married more than two women um, which by the way is you're going to find out after this story is not recommended for your health okay now, now, Jacob, this is the main, one of the main characters. Jacob, he's the grandson of Abraham. And he, he goes to live with his uncle Laban. And he falls in love within the first month with his second-born daughter. Her name was Rachel. She's a looker. She's hot. She's beautiful. He was like, I'm in love. I want to marry her. After one month, I want to marry her. But he didn't have any money. He's broke. And back then, you had to pay a dowry to the father of the bride in order to have the opportunity to marry his daughter, which is a practice I fully support and believe that we should bring back 100%, amen? amen. Every parent who has daughters said amen. And and so um, he has no money, and so Laban comes up with this plan and says, why don't you work for me for seven years? And at the end of the seven years, then you can marry my daughter. And he's like, S- sign me up. And so he, ma- he worked for her for seven years. At the end of the seven years, he says, all right, give me my, my wife, I wanna marry her. So they, they planned the wedding. Huge celebration. Now, if you don't know what weddings were like back then, think about the craziest wedding reception you've ever been to and multiply it by five, okay? Like, it's not just your crazy uncle that gets drunk. It's everyone got wasted at these. Now, some of you are like, no, they wouldn't have do that back then. Yes, they did. This was not the Baptist version of wine. This was the real stuff. And I'll tell you that because if you know this story, it's true. Jacob marries this this girl, okay, Laban's daughter, who has got a veil, doesn't even recognize, okay, has the party, the reception, apparently she's still wearing the veil. It wasn't like, you know, flip it up and kiss. It was, okay, until the wedding night. So they're drinking, they're having a great time, and he had no idea that Laban switched daughters with him, and really it was his firstborn, Leah who wasn't so attractive which is probably why she kept the veil down the whole entire night i don't know i'm just telling you what happened and so jacob must have been so plastered i'm not making this up some of you feel like i'm disrespecting the bible i am not read the story okay he must have been so plastered that he goes to bed with her that night and wakes up thinking he woke up next to rachel and one of my favorite verses in the whole bible it says when jacob woke up the next morning there was leah I know he screamed (laughs) and he he was tricked. And his uncle then kind of, when he goes to his uncle, what'd you do to me? He says, well, you don't know there's a clause in Article 14, Paragraph B, you know what I mean? Says really the firstborn in our custom, um, um, the firstborn gets married off first. So surprise, you got Leah. He's like, but I really want Rachel. And so he says, all right, fine. Finish out the bridal week, the honeymoon. And after that, you can marry Rachel for another seven years of labor. And he is dumb. He agrees. Whatever, you know, I guess he was in love. That's what you do when you're in love. And so he, 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 he finishes that and he marries Rachel. Now, what happens next is that Rachel and Leah begin to get into this, this kind of world of, of competition. And Rachel can't have children, but Leah can so Leah is giving children to Jacob, which, by the way, in that culture was everything for a woman. Rachel doesn't. And so what you find in Genesis 30 is this this tension that arises between the two sisters. Let's read this together. Genesis 30. I'm going to read the, the kind of the whole narrative together. It says, when Rachel saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children, she became jealous of her sister. So she said to Jacob, give me children or I'll die. Jacob became angry with her and he said am I in the place of God who has kept you ha- from having children? Then she said Here's Billa My servant why don't you sleep with her so that she can bear children for me and I too can build a family Through her so she gave him her servant Billah as a wife and Jacob slept with her and She became pregnant and bore him a son then Rachel said God has vindicated me He has listened to my plea and given me a son. Because of this, she named him Dan. Rachel's servant, Billah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, I have had a great struggle with my sister, and I have won. So she named him Naphtali. When Leah saw that she stopped having children, she she wasn't still producing children anymore, So she took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son. Then Leah said, what good fortune? So she named him Gad. And then Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. And Leah said, how happy I am. The women will call me happy. And she named him Asher. This would make a a really good TV show today, right? (laughs) Called Housewives of Israel. (laughs) Sister wives, that's a better one, sister wives. This is the, the old version of Sister Wise. I want you to notice the, the exchange between Rachel and Leah. Um, and the trap that I want to point out to you they fell into. I'm calling this the comparison trap. It's the comparison trap. It's the place where you get stuck living for something other than what you already have. It's a trap. You see, Rachel wanted to wear the Leah mask because Leah had children and she couldn't. Leah wanted to wear the Rachel mask because she was loved and wanted by Jacob and she wasn't. And so they they each don't see the value in who they are or what they have, and I get that. And they fall into this trap of of comparison, the comparison trap where where each wants to have the other person's life and i would argue that this is something that we can all a little bit identify with because it's so easy for us to find ourselves living in constant comparison with those around us isn't it let's be honest we find ourselves constantly comparing our life with other people our success in business with somebody else we find ourselves doing that because we're feeling the pressure There's a pressure to conform. There's a pressure to succeed. There's a pressure to have more, bigger, better. There's a pressure of expectations. There's expectations that Rachel had of of maybe Jacob. You you notice what she said in verse 1. She said to Jacob, Jacob, give me children or I'll die. Jacob, she had this expectation. From the pressure in the culture, or maybe she felt a pressure internally that if I don't have children, I'm worth nothing. And so she kind of almost seems to put this expectation on Jacob. Jacob, give me children. Jacob, it's your fault. Jacob, give me children, or I'll die. And and here's Jacob's response. I love this in verse two. Jacob's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Am I in the place of God? Hold on, hold on. Don't pin this on me. Don't blame this on me. My stuff works. Look at Leah. I got four children with her. Don't you dare put this on me. I, 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 I see something that Rachel does that I find myself doing and I see in others. Sometimes we're living up to expectations that we don't get from other people, but we project from other people. I think one of the reasons why we tend to compare so often is because of what I call projected expectations. And sometimes not even a real expectation is because of pressure, but but it's not even real, but sometimes it's something that we expect and we project on other people. That's what Rachel was doing with Jacob. She's projecting it. Um, this is why sometimes you'll see newlyweds and i'll i have counseled with newlyweds that one year into their their wedding or two years they're they're fighting or they're struggling because they have all these expectations uh, that that they bring into the marriage that maybe their spouse never had for them but they think they do it and they feel it it's pressure it's like the pressure we feel in school it's the pressure to i, I remember kind of where where this came to play in in um in my marriage with my wife Laura Lee early on when we first got married um, we kind of came from different backgrounds when it came to family dinner. A little bit different. And some of you know what it's like when you come from different backgrounds. Uh, my wife's family, when she grew up, they would often have dinner like every night and her mom would cook. And her mom's a great cook and she would make these great food. I know cause I would spend almost every evening over there. So cause I could eat, you know, with them. And, and so we go there. And so she kind of grew up watching her mom cook a great cook, making all this different food. And it was awesome, right? I grew up in a little different environment. My, in my household, my mom did not cook that often. Super smart, very successful, but not th- did not cook every night, you know. And, and she's not the greatest. I mean, it wasn't she wasn't bad, but but honestly, it was like it, when she did cook, 50/50 that that we even liked it. Okay, that's it was like, did you burn that? Oh no, that's blackened. Oh, uh, you know. And so most nights, here's what we would do, right? We would eat, and then an hour later, we'd eat cereal. Do you know what I'm talking about? Anybody here? Hello, I still feel like I need cereal no matter how good the meal is every single night. And so we got married and, and my wife kind of comes with this expectation of almost like, I got to make, make dinner. I, I'm going to cook and, and it's, and it's awesome. I'm glad for that because I can't cook and it would be bad, right? But, but she almost, and so here's how it plays out. And it's not a bad thing, but, but she still to this day will ask me, Hey, hey what do you want for dinner? And my response is, I don't care because I grew up where it didn't matter. I was having cereal. Like, you know, I just, I don't care. She grew up when it mattered. For me, it didn't matter. I mean, so she'll ask me, what do you, I don't care. Frozen pizza, cereal, I don't care. And it's not a bad thing, It's, but I guess I'm saying it to to point out that sometimes, we, sometimes we can get to a place where, where we don't think we're good because we're not living up to expectations that sometimes we're putting on ourselves that's projected. Kind of like the second born child, because i experience experienced this. I I speak from personal experience a lot in these messages. It's kind of like when the second born child feels like they can't compete with the first born who's a straight A student. And so even though the parents never say anything about it, you still carry an expectation that you're not meet. Do you know what I'm talking about? Come on, this is real stuff, right? Look, I, I don't have time to meet with a council this month, so I'm using you all to do this, okay? I'm just working my stuff out, all right? And, and so for the, the wife that feels like she's not a good enough cook, but maybe her husband doesn't care, or for the son who feels like he can't measure up, or maybe the dad who feels like, I can't provide the newer car for my kid and everybody else is at school driving brand new trucks or SUVs and, and I can't so I feel like I feel like I'm I'm worthless, like I can't really provide that, that level of car, I can't really provide the lifestyle, I can't provide this new phone, or I can't do you know what I'm talking about, parents? I'm talking about real stuff that we feel and, t- and so what what I what I found is that because of the pressures, we, we find ourselves trying to meet or compare to some type of standard that maybe doesn't even exist. Like my parents never said that they wanted me to get a certain grades that would me measure up with, but but I, I'm feeling that. And so because of that pressure, we tend to hide behind this mask, is where we're constantly comparing ourselves. Can I tell you something that has changed changed the game in the last decade or two? Y'all know what it is, right? See, I didn't have to say it. Social media. Social media has maybe done more than anything else to, to create and foster a heart of competition or comparison in us, hasn't it? It's true, it's changed the game. Like, because we're constantly thumbing through a feed of everybody else's greatest moments. Listen, I think Pinterest has created more discontent moms than any other thing on the face of this earth. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh gosh, I can't make that. My house doesn't look. Oh, oh, we're just. Everything is so outdated. We need to change everything. I know we just did it last year, but I just. You don't. It's a constant battle, isn't it? Or, or or like Instagram. One of the things I hate the most about Instagram is how it makes me feel about my body because every time I scroll through all I see are these people with abs that are posting their gym photos talking about how gym life and talking about how you know all this stuff and even if you don't follow people that are constantly doing that they'll still pick put pick sponsored ads to run of all these people that are ripped up that make you feel awful about how you really look do you know what I'm talking about it's the it's a, it's a social media has changed the world when it comes to, to comparison. And what here's what we're doing, right? Is we're comparing our real life to everyone else's Insta life. And it's not real life. Hello, I have an announcement to make. Social media is not real life. It is not real life. I need to announce this. If you're under 25, listen to me it is not real life. People are posting on the gram a projection of what they want you to believe about them. It's no one posts real life stuff. No one does. We'll take 27 pictures from every different angle to make sure that it's just perfect or we won't even share it. We will post pictures of when our kids are actually smiling. It happens for 20 seconds, once a day, maybe, and we'll talk about how blessed we are to have the greatest children in the world when five minutes before those little demon kids were running around with a tantrum and you hated life. Sorry, I'm just preaching it real today. So <laughs> we're just getting real, we're gonna peel back the layers in this series. it's not real guys it's not real that's what i discovered social media can be a mask it's a mask that we wear here here's one thing i think we ought to do i think we ought to i think we ought to kick back at this this thought of it it's not real life this would be cool if everybody in our church did this. For the next 24 hours, what if we only posted pictures that were real life in our own homes? What if we only did that? That would be hilarious, right? Like when you wake up tomorrow morning before you put on the other mask, snap a picture real quick, right? You know with drool's hanging down for your mouth, and your hair, bed hair go, and say, that, good morning. Like that's that's a real picture. Okay? Or when you're fighting at six o'clock in the afternoon, pause with your spouse for just a second. Hold on, let's capture this. Pastor said to post it. Angry at each other and stick it up. That's real life. And here's why this matters is because I heard one pastor say it this way. We're always comparing our behind the seal scenes to everyone else's highlight reel. You, you know why this makes us miserable? Is because we scroll through and we see how she's the greatest mom ever. Look at she made that for her kids on their first day of school. And I got up late and I barely put together a lunch and it wasn't even healthy. You know, you know what I'm talking about when, when, you, when you're scrolling through and you're seeing it. And it's like you're looking at their highlight reel. But all the meanwhile, you know what your life really looks like. And so it always falls short in our minds, our comparison. I guess what i'm trying to say is we're all measuring ourselves listen against other people's masks that's what we're doing and you will never measure up to somebody else's mask you'll never be tall enough you'll never be strong enough you'll never be lean enough you'll never be pretty enough you'll never be successful enough when you measure yourself against someone else's mask so rachel and leah they're They're constantly measuring themselves against the other person's mask. Oh, look how happy she is. She has children, but she's not really happy. Oh, look how happy she must be. She has the affection of her husband, but she's not really happy. And so what happens is, and this is the trap. Now listen to me. The trap is then they start to try to one up each other. That's why we're constantly buying something new, something bigger. Oh, he got the new iPhone. I had to get the new iPhone. Pastor Trey got the new iPhone. I had to get the new iPhone. That's not true. Hey, if there is one family that will make you feel awful about your family, follow the castles because they're always doing great things and they have the cutest kids in the world. And my wife will look at me and go, we are so boring. They're always doing things. We deal with this too, okay? Sorry, I didn't mean to call you all out. They're such a cute family, but... And so, so they're always trying to one-up each other. And so Rachel Rachel says, I got an idea. I'll give my servant, Billa, to Jacob to marry and have children for me. And Jacob, of course, says, yes, because he's a guy. He's stupid. We're simple. And so she, she starts to have kids. And, and if you notice, one, one of the kids that, that Billa has that she assumes as her own. And um, was, was one that she names Naphtali or Naphtali, however you want to pronounce it, which means my struggle. And, and here's what she says She says, I have a struggle. I have a struggle with my sister. I struggled with my sister and I won. I didn't know it was a competition. But everything in life seems to be a con- I had a struggle with my sister and I came out on top because I got the man and I got the son. And so Leah, she then gives her servant Zilpah to Jacob because she's not getting time, face time with Jacob because she's the one that's not loved. And so then then her servant begins to uh, produce children. And then she names one of her children that she takes from Zilpah, Asher, which means happy. She says, oh, how happy I am. And then she says this, how other women will call me happy. Almost like she's trying to convince herself that not now, now I'm happy, and now everybody else will think I'm worth something, or I'm really happy. It's a comparison trap. And let me tell you what's behind this. If you peel back the layers of this comparison, is it really that bad to you know compare? And it, sometimes it can be seen as a good thing, but yes. But if you peel it all back, what's behind it honestly is the sin of envy. There's an ugly side to this i know i'm trying to joke and laugh a little bit about it because it's so real but honestly what's going on in our heart is that we're really envious of other people we, we wish we had what they have and you know what we've done to make ourselves feel better about envy is we relabel it a spirit of competition we celebrate that and i get it right athletes We celebrate athletes and business owners and entrepreneurs, and you look at them and go, man, it's the competitive drive that causes them to be successful. I get all that, but let me just say this. The very thing that makes an athlete motivated to be a champion is also the same thing that can destroy your marriage. The, The thing that is fuel for an entrepreneur so that they can be successful is also the thing that can steal your joy from life. And so the spirit of competition that we celebrate so often, we got to peel back the layers because sometimes what's really back there is envy. And we're so envious of others, here's the danger. We start to use other people to get to where we think we should be because that's what Rachel and Leah did. They use their servants so that they can look better and they can feel better about themselves. Sometimes we use other people at work so that we will look better for the promotion. Or parents, sometimes we will use our kids' accomplishments to make us look better with other parents. That's what we do. What we don't understand is that it's a trap. That, that we fall into this trap, and here, here's what happens. Is you will keep chasing something that you can never get. And here's why this really matters, is because it ends up leaving us In a place where we are never satisfied in life never happy never fulfilled never be good nothing will ever be good enough you always wish that you had what somebody else has and i'm telling you maybe it's the most miserable place to live from the guy that really had no one to compare himself to at some point in his life was a guy named solomon and The bible says and as we unpack how much wealth he had that he probably was the wealthiest man even to this day to ever live and so he had spent so much of his life really trying to accomplish stuff and then he gets to the pinnacle where he has no one else to compare himself with you know what happens when you don't have anybody else to compare yourself with you know you've been so successful and you made so much money and you've got such and such house and you and all of a sudden, one day, he wakes up, and he almost seems like it's been a waste of a life. And he writes these words in, a, in his memoirs. It's found in Ecclesiastes 4. He said this, and I saw that all toil, everything we work working for, and all our achievement, he said, do you, do you know where it comes from? It springs from one person's what? Everyone say it with me. One person's envy of another. That's, that's the real motivation in our hearts that we need to check. He says, this too is meaningless. It's a chasing after the wind. In other words, you'll never catch it. You're never going to be satisfied. I don't care if you have the best style because you can afford it. I don't care if you can get a better car, a bigger house. I don't care if you have a better bank account. Listen, you will never be satisfied. You're trying to grasp something that you cannot hold on because it's not around you and it's not how you look, but it's something inside of you that you are not in love with. Something inside. So I'm praying. I was asking God, God, what do I say? What, what do we do to begin to shift this? Because I think a lot of us, we. You know i I could give you these great christian posters and phrases and you know paul said i can do all things through christ who gives me strength." i I understand all that but but the real problem is within i want to give you just one thought that maybe you're going to pray about this week this could begin to shift this this desire this drive to to need to compare and it's this thought because I, i don't think we'll ever learn to get out from the mask of comparison until we learn to be content with your content. Until we learn to be content with our content. And I don't mean the content of your house and your decorations, your furniture and your TV. I don't mean the content of what's in your garage. I don't mean the content of what's in your bank account. I'm talking about your content. Until you learn to be content with your who God made you to be, you will never find peace in this life as you constantly measure until you learn to like it's okay here's what I'm discovering to love who God made you to be it's okay it's okay to be quirky we need quirky people in this world it's okay if you're not the greatest cook in the world Okay, listen to me, moms who really take that role and expectation. It's okay if you're not the greatest cook, because you might be one of the most amazing mothers in creating a safe and loving atmosphere for your children. And maybe that is what really matters more than the type of food you can stick and how on the table and what it looks like. And I, I just wonder sometimes, this is something that just kind of hit me and I, I kind of felt horrible about it. And the fact that I I feel like I wrestle and I compare all the time. And all of a sudden I had this thought. I wonder how offensive it might be to our creator that we're all going around wishing that we were somebody else. I almost thought, that's like a smack in the face to a God who made you because he loves you and because he wanted a you right now. He wanted you. So how how do I learn to be content with my content? Here's what I would encourage you to start doing. If you're someone here that, and I think there's a lot of people, if I could be honest today, that are, are listening to me right now that don't love who you are. And I think sometimes we don't love who we are because of some of the decisions we've made. I understand that. But I think sometimes we don't love who we are because we have a low self-esteem because we've spent our entire lives comparing ourselves to others, or maybe because of what people have told us. And I want to give you something that you could try to do. And it's going to feel weird and awkward. But what if in your time with God this week you took a little bit of time before the list of prayer requests that you give to him, because that's what I do, to praise God for who you are. I feel so self-serving and so weird, but. But i'm only telling you something that the psalmist did and and you don't do it from a place of pride don't do it from arrogance but do it from a a place of genuine god thank you for making me if you're an introvert okay god God, thank you for making me an introvert i love books and i just want to sit at home by myself at times that's fine that's how that's how god made you If you're an extrovert you're one of the annoying people in the room but god made you that way for a reason that's me but there's things that can be celebrated about that in you. This is what I'm discovering. The psalmist said this in Psalm 139, verse 13 and 14. You, God, made all the delicate inner parts of my body. And you knit me together in my mother's womb. Like, you made me. You, you fashioned me, God. You did this. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Yes, if you are complex and you need to see a counselor, I'm with you. But, but God made you that way your workmanship is marvelous how well I know it I don't think until we ever stop living from a place of comparing and wishing we were somebody else can we ever truly find peace in our lives to say I'm who God made me to be I God wanted a me and I might not be a great builder and I might not be great at fixing things around the house but you know what I can do I can preach a message And so I just need to celebrate what I can do and what God made me to do. I have some strengths and I've got some weaknesses and so do you. And you know what makes us so beautiful as a church body is it's a dependency that I need you and you need me. But listen, you are valuable because of what God paid for you. The fact that even at my ugliest moment, Jesus was still willing to die for me. When I feel like I'm the worst version of me I've ever been. The Bible says, even while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. And so I just, I want to encourage you like this week, maybe, maybe you'll try this. It might feel a little bit weird and don't do it from pride, but do it from praise. Thank God for some of the things that you can do well. Thank God for, for your family. And if you need to get off Instagram or Facebook for a little bit, maybe do that. If you struggle with this, never feeling like a good enough mom, a good enough wife, a good enough husband, a good enough provider, a good enough son, get off Instagram for a little bit. Why don't you take a month break? And you know what? All of a sudden, you can stop focusing on everyone else. Put your attention on God. God, you don't make mistakes. God, you made me because you wanted a me on this earth right now. And I thank you for making me, even with all my faults and failures. And God, I'm going to try my best to be the best version of me that you created, not somebody else. And I think there's something freeing that we could discover in life right there. That's what I want. Amen? Come on, pray with me today. Father, I i thank you for making us unique and making us different god i pray right now that that your holy spirit would just speak to our hearts about always wishing we were somebody else and i I just pray god we could take this mask off today that god that you would speak right now i just feel like the voice of god wants me to say that listen You are enough. Regardless of what people have said to you your entire life, you are enough in the eyes of God. You are who He wanted you to be. He made you, and He loves you. God, I pray right now that we could learn to be content with our content. God, you you made me special, and I'm not perfect, and there's none of us that are, but God... I don't want to be offensive to you when I constantly wish I were somebody else or look like somebody else or God may, may we be the best version of us that you created us to be with the help of your spirit. God would you help us know how to to work this out. Maybe we can take time this week to praise you for how you made us and live in freedom. We pray all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, Come on, let's thank God for making us unique and loving us. Amen.